the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ruth. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. She believes in the sovereignty of God only as it relates to bad things in her life. And there are some people like that. And maybe you have even struggled with that. When bad things happen, you attribute it to God. You believe in His sovereignty, but only as it relates to bad things. Because this bad thing has happened in my life, so it must be God. Well, what about the good things? Like, do you ever really think that God is maybe doing the good things in your life? Why all of a sudden are you tipping the balance to say the bad things are from God, but I'm not sure about the good things. The good things maybe is what I do. Sometimes, as people, we can pay attention to God when we need something or are going through a difficult time. But unfortunately, and fortunately, that's just not how God works. We can't just use Him when we need Him. It's a relationship, a two-way street. In today's message, Pastor Gary will encourage you to depend on the Lord in every season, not just every once in a while when you're in need. Be constantly hungry for Jesus in the good and the bad. Every day wanting more of His grace and mercy. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let me tell you a little bit about the Moabites. The Moabites were children of incest. If you remember the story in Genesis 19 about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family was the only righteous family within Sodom and Gomorrah. And God spared Lot and his family, sent a couple of angels, and one in particular who would literally take them by the hand and escort them out of Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed those twin cities and brought judgment upon those twin cities because of their sexual sin, their sexual immorality. Lot and his uh, two daughters and his wife escape. Um, you know the story about how Lot's wife turned back, looked with longing. She, she was turned into a pillar of salt. So Lot just went on with his two daughters, and Mrs. Lot did not join them. She was left as a pillar of salt. Um, But this weird thing happens, okay? In those days, um, a a woman who was without a husband and and thus childless um, often fell upon hard times and ended up in poverty. Because in those cultures, uh, women were very dependent upon a man to provide for them. When the daughters of Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah with their father, it is believed that they thought that seeing as Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, there were no other men. 
which, is, which wasn't true, but they're thinking, you know, where, do, where are we going to find a husband? So the Bible says that they do a, a very despicable thing. They get their father drunk. That's not the despicable part of it, per se. They get their father drunk, and the one daughter sleeps with her father, has, has, commits incest with him. She gets pregnant. Then later, the next daughter does it also. She gets pregnant. And the children born to the one daughter, the son born to the one daughter is named Ben-Ami. And from that boy's descendants come the Ammonites. The other son born to the other daughter who had sexual relations with her father Lot was named Moab. The Moabites are descendants of an incestuous relationship. So you have to understand this because this heritage has everything to do with the background of Ruth and Orpah. And in particular, we're going to see Ruth because this is a wonderful story of love and redemption of God's grace and how God can take a life with a bad and tragic heritage, no fault of Ruth's, and make it into a wonderful story of redemption. So, you know, the rest of this story is yet to be told, and you'll see it unfold as we make our way through the book of Ruth. But they're Moabites. Moabites, again, not Jewish, they're Gentile, they're heathen. They're so heathen, the principal god of the Moabites was a god by the name of Chemosh. Chemosh is mentioned in the Bible. And part of the worship of Chemosh was child sacrifice. As a result of the Moabites being descendants of an incestuous relationship and the fact that they also practiced the worship of child sacrifice, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, that no Moabite was ever allowed into the house of the Lord from the time a Moabite was identified down to 10 generations following. God even put a restriction on the Moabites even being allowed in the temple court area, let alone in the temple itself. It couldn't get in there because they were Gentiles. But no Moabite could come near the temple of the Lord down to the 10th generation. So these were a people who were very ostracized. These were a people who were considered um, very inferior in terms of their relationship to the Jewish people. Um, They had, obviously, a very tainted past as a people, as a group. Um, Again, no fault of their own. It's just what happened, you know, as a result of their heritage, their ancestry coming from this incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And so that's the background. And you need to understand that because the redemption is that much more wonderful when you know how tainted the background is. And, And so... Naomi is urging her daughters-in-law, don't go with me to Bethlehem. You're, you're from the land of Moab. These are your people. The, the, you worship your gods here. Um, stay here. You're, you're better off here than going with me. And so that's, that's what she urges them. And so she kissed them. They lifted up their voices. They wept, verse 10, and they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? 
Like, you know, she's like, I, it's not like I'm going to be able to find a husband myself and have children. I'm getting up there in age now because she's already had two full-grown children and got married, two full-grown sons. So she's like, it's not like I can repeat this over again. And, and then the age difference for you marrying my future sons, like, this isn't going to happen. So why are you following me? She says, verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Like this isn't even, you know, feasible here. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? You know, in other words, would you, would you refuse to get married because you're waiting for me to have birth to boys who can grow up and marry you? Like this isn't even, this isn't even feasible. He says, she says, no, my daughters. Now look, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, hear her words there. I'm going to read that same statement from the NIV. The NIV, she says it this way. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Now, both translations end the same way. New King James that I'm reading from says the Lord's hand has gone out against me. NIV says the Lord's hand has gone out against me. But New King James, she says there at the beginning, grieves me very much for your sake. But NIV picks up on a word in the Hebrew, and NIV translated it saying that it is more bitter for me than for you. We're going to see here as this chapter unfolds that bitterness marks Naomi's life. I don't say that to judge her, I just say that as a matter of fact. And by out of her own mouth, she's going to even want to be renamed because of her own bitterness of soul. So this is the first glimpse of it. She's like, you know, you, you girls stay back. You're better off here. I can't give birth again and find a husband and have kids and wait for you to, them to grow up, for you to marry them. You go back. It grieves me for you. Or again, NIV, it's more bitter for me than it is for you. The Lord's hand is against me. Now, look, there are a lot of people who get into difficult situations, and no doubt her life is in a difficult place. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. So we should have compassion for her. I mean, she's in a very bad place. But unfortunately, what happens is when people get in a very bad place, they automatically think that God is against me. And that just simply isn't always the case. And you should not jump to that conclusion. If you're in a place yourself where you have been going through hardship and difficulty, don't jump to the place where you think God's, God's out to get me. God's hand is against me. No, because, look, God is going to accomplish something wonderful in this story. You can't draw the conclusion by making the assumption that God is just out to get me. And so his hand is against me. Now let's keep reading here. Verse, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I heard a sermon once that was entitled, Kissers and Cleavers. Some people will kiss you and turn their back on you and leave you. That's what Orpah did. And other people will cleave to you. There's a difference between friends. Some are kissers, some are cleavers. Judas was a, a kisser. There are some people in your lives who will just, they will kiss you and they will leave you. They, they, they are not loyal to you. They're not a true friend. 
But Ruth, she clung to Naomi. So Orpah leaves, and she ends up having a very lucrative uh, business, a, a you know, media kind of guru with her own talk show. <laughs> Actually, that's Oprah. But a, a, true little, a true little tidbit of fact that you may not know, that I heard Oprah one time say, that her mother named her Orpah out of this story. But when the birth certificate was typed up, it was misspelled, and the P was put in front of the R, and instead of it being Orpah, her name was Oprah, but that's free information for you. But anyway, (laughs) so she goes off to become this media sensation with her own talk show, and Ruth, on the other hand, clings to her. And verse 15, and she said, this is Naomi speaking, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. See, again, because she's a Moabitess. Return after your sister-in-law, like go do what she does. And then Ruth says these famous words that uh, are sometimes quoted at weddings and, and sometimes they're like, you know, um, stitched on, you know, quilts and pillows and stuff and uh, cards. And, and, here, and here's what she says. It's very, it's very dear what, she, what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She says, entreat me not to leave you. And this often is used in terms of what a wife says to a husband at a wedding ceremony. But entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Just a wonderful statement that she makes there, saying, I'm not turning back, I'm going with you, and I want to know your God, I want to live in your land, Um, I want to know your people and be with your people, and uh, let nothing separate me from you except death. And so she makes this very heartfelt um, promise to her, and so verse 18 says that when she saw, that's when Naomi saw that that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now, that doesn't mean like she gave her the silent treatment. It just means that she, like she had nothing more to say. It's like, well, shut my mouth. I mean, what can I say to that? You've just given this beautiful little speech there in a few sentences. I have nothing to add. How can I say anything? So verse 19, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they, when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, remember, she's been gone for 10 years. So they're not sure exactly. Is this Naomi? But she said, now notice, we're going we're gonna to kind of crack open Naomi's heart here. Look what's inside. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, look at your footnotes in your Bible right there, because most of your Bibles have a little footnote. What does Mara mean? Bitter. Bitter. It says, do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant, delightful. Call me bitter. Because that's what she's feeling. That's in her heart. For the Almighty, notice, the Almighty God has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. You know, I left here 10 years ago full, which isn't true, right? She left there in a famine. 
I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now look, there's a lot in there. She basically says, God has ruined my life. She says, I'm bitter, call me bitter, Amara. She says, the Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I'm, I've come home empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. Five different things she says about her personal condition. But by the way, when she says there in verse 21, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why didn't she say, the Lord sent me out full and I have come home empty? Why has she reversed it? I went out full, because that isn't true. The Lord has brought me home empty. If she really thought she left full, why doesn't she think God caused her to leave Bethlehem full? That she came back empty. She's putting this burden on God, because here's what it reveals. It reveals she believes in the sovereignty of God only as it relates to bad things in her life. And there are some people like that. And maybe you have even struggled with that. When bad things happen, you attribute it to God. You believe in his sovereignty, but only as it relates to bad things. Because this bad thing has happened in my life, so it must be God. Well, what about the good things? Like, do you ever really think that God is maybe doing the good things in your life? Why all of a sudden are you tipping the balance to say the bad things are from God, but I'm not sure about the good things. The good things maybe is what I do. So her theology is being presented here. Now, again... I say this with compassion for somebody who's been through a horrible time. She's lost her husband, her two sons. She has no home. She has no food. She has no money. She has no hope. Okay, when you lose all of that, you're desperate. And uh, the truth is, um, not to be cute about it, but the truth is people are like chocolate. Some are sweet. Some people are semi-sweet. And some people are downright bitter. Naomi is bitter. She has come to a place in her life where she is blaming God for her hardships. And she's having a hard time seeing anything good right now. And, and, and this is not unique to her. Just uh, put your finger there, if you would, in Ruth and go quickly to Psalms. I'm going to read a couple of Psalms with you. Go to Psalms chapter 13. Psalms chapter 13, David had something to say about the bitterness of his soul too, so it's okay. You know, when people go through difficulties, you can pour it out to God. He's not shocked by it. Um, he can take our emotions. Psalm 13, just look at the first two verses. David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You ever felt like that? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Go a couple more chapters to Psalm 22. This is also David. Psalm 22, first two verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Who quoted that? Jesus quoted it from the cross. Because he was feeling in that moment when he took on our sin, though he had committed no sin, he felt this 
estrangement from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. Go over one more place, Psalm 77. Psalm 77, this is a Psalm of Asaph. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And so back here in the book of Ruth, I share those Psalms with you just as examples of the fact that a lot of people have been in a bad place. And it's okay to let your emotions be known to God. Like he can handle it. You know, when we have, when we're disappointed, when we're crushed in life, when we are discouraged and we feel hopeless, like, like it's, it's okay to cry out to the Lord and to even say those things that we wrestle with. Like, where are you Lord in the midst of my suffering? Have you shut up heaven from me? Like, I don't even know if you hear, and it's okay. He, he can handle our emotions. But what I want to say to all of us is this, that we don't always have control over a lot of things that happen in life. And by the way, we get ourselves in trouble when we try to control everything because we feel safety in that, don't we? If I can just control this and control that. And then we realize how little in life we really can control, okay? So Naomi had like zero control. Like the famine that came, she couldn't control that. She goes to Moab with her husband and her two sons. The three of them die while she's there. She has no control over that. She's homeless. She doesn't have food. She doesn't have money. I mean, she has practically zero control. So when life begins to happen to us in ways that are overwhelming and discouraging and hard, the one thing that you have control over, that I have control over, is not what happens to us in the course of life, but our response to it. Okay, somebody coined this phrase, not me. My response is my responsibility. And every single one of us need to grab hold of that. Because while we have very little control over the things that happen in the course of life, the one thing we can control is our response to it. And you can choose to either blame God for everything, get mad, or... You can pour out your heart to God and say, God, I don't understand this. This is overwhelming. Sometimes I feel like you're not there. Sometimes, and then just, just be honest with your raw emotion, but then to say, but God, but I trust you in the midst of what I'm going through. And that's key because those are two very different approaches to life. One is I'm mad at God and God's doing this. It's his hand upon me and he's made my life bitter and this and, and then you just become bitter with it. Or 
You say, this has happened. I don't understand it. I'm crying out to God because he's the only one I can turn to. And my trust is in you. And I don't get it, but I'm going to lean on you and not my own understandings. I'm going to trust you, God, in the midst of this. And maybe one day this side of heaven or not, maybe until I get to heaven, I'll understand it. But even if I don't, you're still on the throne. I love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to live my life for your glory. That's the choices we have. That's the choice. And, and unfortunately, because people don't opt for the latter, there are people who just end up very bitter in life. Call them Mara. Like, like that's their name. And they even want to be known that way. And it's tragic. It's very, very tragic. Corey Ten Boom, I'll close with this. Corey Ten Boom, who spent time in a Nazi prison camp. From the depths of Nazi death camp, she said this, quote, No matter how deep our darkness... He, the Lord, is deeper still. That's our Lord. We're so glad you chose to spend a part of your day with us. We pray you've been blessed by what you've heard and are motivated to share Jesus with others. We all need the love that he has to offer. In Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse teaching, we hear how Ruth stuck like glue to Naomi's side. She sacrificially gave up everything to love and care for her mother-in-law. Does this ring a bell? It's exactly what God has done and is doing for us. He gave up his son Jesus on the cross so that we might experience love abounding. What a gift. If you believe that to be true and are ready to take the next step of faith, would you contact us? We'd love to have a conversation with you. Our email is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Just in case you missed that, it's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We look forward to connecting with you. If you enjoyed today's message and would like to hear others, hop on over to cornerstoneconnection.cc where you'll find an archive of Pastor Gary's messages. If you're on the go more than not, don't forget to download our mobile app before leaving that page. Again, it's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thank you again for listening to another broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.